Good to see you. If you have a Bible with you, if you would, uh, you can turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to just read a couple of verses. But um, good to have you with us. We are going to begin today a series of messages called Skeptical. We're calling the series Skeptical. We're going to look at three different topics. And um, well, first thing, I just want to thank you. If you are someone you consider yourself a skeptic, maybe a, a friend drug you here and uh, you're not sure what you believe or you're not sure if you believe this stuff or you're pretty confident it's all make-believe, that's really cool. I really want to first thing just thank you for coming and just applaud you because this is a church service and uh, I am speaking directly one way. You don't have a rebuttal uh, per se. So just want to tell you, I appreciate you coming and really appreciate your interest in why this may be true. And um, really do. If you do have questions, anybody, afterwards, um, I'll hang around and answer your questions. If you really want to get into it, I'll be very happy to take you to breakfast or lunch. Um, I'll pay for it. Pastors are we're big bucks people uh, here. We make a lot of money, so it's no big deal to go to Willie's and spend $7 on a meal for you. But but I'd be very happy to do that and, and really excited to do that. And, and I've had, just over the years, I've had a, a privilege of doing this, uh, meeting with people that were skeptical and uh, over lunch, over breakfast, and talking about things. It's really a joy uh, to be able to do that. So if, you, if, you, if that's you, just know I really would like to meet you and, and would love to talk with you some. It wouldn't be a, I wouldn't feel offended that you think I'm full of whatever. It wouldn't, feel me, it wouldn't be the first time... Uh, I've been told that. So anyways, we, we love that. When we get started here, one of the things that I hope will happen in this series and, and today is for you to answer the question, why do you believe what you believe? You know, what has convinced you that there is a God? What's convinced you that God exists or what has convinced you that he does not exist? And that's a really important question to really ask yourself. Why am I convinced that God exists? Or why am I convinced he doesn't exist? Now, people will tell you, sociologists, psychologists, people that study this will tell you there are not just one, but there's three factors that influence our beliefs. And they are facts, experiences, and then there are people that are influences in our life. Now, um, obviously we know what facts are, but we got to understand too, this, another influencer of our beliefs what you and I believe is not just a function of facts. There's also experiences that go into it. And our belief in God or belief against God has an experiential element to it. And you may be sitting here and saying, well, hey, I'm a Christian and it feels so great. And it's wonderful. And I know it feels great. And you had prayers answered. And so therefore you believe in God. That's experiences. But somebody on the flip side may have prayed for something. Maybe had a loved one die or something very painful happened and they prayed and God didn't answer their prayer. Maybe they have a whole different outlook on things. Maybe they don't feel good. And we can talk about people that are influencers. We, we all tend to adopt the beliefs of people we, we like, we respect, or we need in our life. Every one of us does that. And, you know, if you had a great youth pastor growing up and you said or a great pastor or some sort of religious figure in your life 
hey, that's going to influence your belief. You know, if you may think, you know, Chance the Rapper is cool and he's a Christian. And so I want to be a Christian because I like his music. I mean, that, that has influence. The same side, people may have had a bad experience in religion. They may have seen somebody that was a hypocrite. When you uh, hear the testimony of those that were uh, the victims of the Catholic scandal that was so out there several years ago, people talk about how when they had these horrible experiences with a priest, one of the things they always say is, in that experience, God died to me. God died. Just some experience. And we can have negative experiences. We can have negative influences in our life. I mean, we can hear a comedian give a funny, snarky comment about religion and suddenly go, oh, I just want to believe like him. And so you've got to think, what has influenced you? Why do you believe what you believe? Why, are you, why do you believe in God or why do you not believe in God? And, and understand it's, a, it's, a, it's, a all, it's an amalgam of all three of these. It's facts, it's experiences, and there's pivotal influences in your life. Now, what we want to be concerned with and what I think is very important is that we believe what we believe because of facts. And we are reasoning from the facts and we are, we are, our beliefs are outcomes of well-reasoned understanding of what the facts are and reasoning from them to the, to the most reasonable, likely conclusions. And that's what we're going to do. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at, today we're going to look at facts from science that I think are convincing that God exists. Next week, we're going to look at 10 historical facts about the human being, Jesus of Nazareth, that are outside of the scriptures, that are outside of the gospels, 10 facts from history that are irrefutable by any scholar that are certainly true about Jesus and reason from them. And then the last week, we're going to look at the Bible. Why would we believe the Bible is inspired by God? Why would we, we believe that? And so we're going to look at those three things, and we're going to look at and focus on facts. So that's what we're going to do. So, and, and what I'm hoping to do, obviously, as you probably guess, I am a Christian, which is a good thing if you're a pastor to be. Um, and I am, I'm going to want you to be a Christian. I am going to want to persuade you, if you're not a Christian, to become a Christian. And, and here's the process that I want, I'm going to go through. I'm going to try to convince you that belief in God, and, and when I say Christian, it's simply a belief this, that there is a God and he has manifested himself decisively through the human being, Jesus of Nazareth, in, as, and through Jesus of Nazareth. That's what we believe. There is a God, he exists, and he is manifested in history in this human being, Jesus, in a decisive way. And I'm going to hope to, to persuade you of that. And the process will be, you'll, you'll have to go from, you'll find yourself, if you're not a believer, going from where you're going to go, okay, this is not only is it, it is as reasonable as unbelief. You're going to understand that believing is as reasonable. It's based in reason as much so as unbelief. And then you'll become convinced, I hope, that it's actually more reasonable than unbelief. Based on facts, looking at science, looking at history, looking at within the scripture, hey, this is more reasonable to believe this than unbelief. But there's going to be a point where you have to take a step of faith. There is no certainty there until you take that step. And so making a faith commitment would be the third step. So that's kind of the journey we're on, and I hope we will we'll be on together. Um, let me read a verse to you. 
And I want to read first in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Again, uh, the Bible's not a science book, okay? It's not about science. It was written thousands of years ago. They didn't know science. It doesn't make scientific claims. The Bible is a theology book, and it's a history book. It is not about science. But it does say one thing emphatically that we can know from science. In one verse is in Romans chapter 1, and it's verse 19, and it just says this simply. What may be known about God is plain because God has made it plain. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly understood, being understood from what was made so that people are without excuse. So what, and this is Paul writing here, and what he basically is saying is that it is plain when somebody looks at creation, when you look at the created order and you look at nature, God has made it very evident that he exists. Now, another verse I want to read is in Hebrews chapter 11, which is a similar thing. This is verse 1 through 3, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And it says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for in assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, and he goes on here and basically says again, faith is understanding that from creation, from what we see, that there's something, that this came from the unseen. There is a, um, a Greek word there for understand called nemo, which means literally uh, to exercise the mind. And what, we wanna, what I want you to understand is faith is not suspending reason. It's actually extending reason. It is looking at facts and saying, since what are the most reasonable conclusions from the facts we have? In the facts of science. So I want to start with three. We're just going to go over three facts today. There's more we could do, but let's look at three facts from science, which no scientist will disagree with, that, uh, that I think are, are reasonably to conclude there is certainly a God. Now, the first thing is this. We know that something came from nothing. Something came from nothing. Now, 2,500 years ago, Aristotle uh, established this belief that the universe was in what he called a steady state. And that means that the universe always existed, the material world and everything in it always existed as it is. And science assumed that for 2,400 years. And every religion, every pagan religion believed that, that the universe was in a steady state. It always existed. The only exception was the Hebrew faith that believed the universe had a definitive beginning. We know the book of Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They believe the universe had a beginning. We understand in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it began, God said, the Hebrew is light be. That's how the universe began, according to the Hebrew Bible. Well, that was the, the only people that believed it were the Hebrews and, and the Christians, Jewish people and Christians who followed them. In 1920... A Belgium scientist whose name was George Maitland, he went to Cambridge and got his PhD from MIT, was musing through some of Einstein's 
thinkings about the possibility of the universe having a beginning. And he started measuring the, the, the increasing distance that there were between galaxies. And he came up with a theory that the universe had a dynamic, sudden beginning. And this, uni- this theory became known, and he became to speak about it, and it became known in journals. And there was a, a scientist named Fred Hoyle at Cambridge who did not agree with it. And he mocked it and called it a Big Bang. And that's how the Big Bang Theory began. So it began with this Belgian scientist. Now that year, another scientist named Edwin Hubble began to do some research through his telescope, and he began to find out, hey, this guy I think is right. It does look like the universe had a sudden dynamic beginning. Then in 1965, a Jewish scientist named Arno Allen Penzance, it's a great name, he studied and found out, discovered, and don't, listen, I, I don't know what this is, but cosmic radiation microwave waves, and I'm just reading a script, guys, I don't know what that is, but somehow he discovered this, and it affirmed Big Bang, and then in 1990s when the Hubble telescope was launched and went around, it absolutely confirmed uh, to almost a certainty the, the theory of Big Bang was true. And that theory is basically this. The universe had a sudden dynamic beginning. Now, let me give you a little lesson here. Um, this is how scientists will understand the universe began. There was a time when there was nothing. Now, it's hard to imagine because we think only in these categories. We think in material We think in space, we think in time, but there was a moment, if you rewound the universe 13.7 billion years ago to where nothing existed. There was no time, there was no space, there was no matter. There was absolutely nothing. And then out of literally the blue appeared something the size of a golf ball, probably a little smaller than this, more like the size of a marble, but a golf ball, appeared out of nothing, just popped and appeared. And packed inside this golf ball, now imagine this, all this this facility we're staying in, this beautiful facility, what if all this were packed in this golf ball? What if every one of you, all your matter is packed in this golf ball? What if all of Athens, Georgia, packed all the state what if the whole planet earth was packed in this golf ball what about the whole solar system our galaxy what about the hundreds of millions of galaxies that we know exist all packed in a golf ball and also packed in that golf ball are gravity nuclear fusion the speed of light, all the the dynamics that made our universe, they're all packed. They all appeared suddenly, literally out of nothing. And of course, this golf ball's infinitely disked. It's infinitely hot. It's spinning at great speeds. And it begins, when we say Big Bang, it doesn't mean that it exploded. It means that it, it literally blew up like a balloon. So if you can imagine this golf ball blowing up like a balloon at the speed of light. That's what happened. 
And inside the universe, for 380,000 years, all that existed inside of it was pure light, nothing else. It is literally as though light be happened, literally for almost 400,000 years. And then in time, they, uh, there being these separations, helium and hydrogen separated and atoms developed. But that's how the universe began. Now, here are the facts we can conclude from this. And again, these are undisputed. Number one, the universe has a supernatural beginning. That's not a belief. That's a fact. There was nothing natural to create the natural world. Time, space, and matter, everything that makes you and I us, appeared supernaturally. There was no natural. It came from the other world. There's no, that's not a belief, that's a fact. And the second fact that we can ascertain from this with certainty is that, again, the universe is enormously big, but it is finite. It has limits. There is a point where there is an outside of the, an inside the balloon where there's time, space, and matter, but there is an outside of it. And outside of it is eternal and infinite and immaterial. And literally what we just read in Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 is literally true. What is seen came from what is unseen. And so this is, again, this is not a belief, this is not a, this is a fact. The universe has a supernatural beginning, and there is a supernatural realm out there that is eternal and infinite and immaterial. There's no arguing that. Now, here's the second fact that is, again, undeniable. It is that simply order came from chaos. Order came from chaos. Now, again, if I took a, an egg and threw it up in the air and it landed and it splattered, what do you think is going to be the result? It's going to be chaotic, isn't it? If, you know, I play a game called um, Spider Solitaire. I'm pretty good at it. In time, the reason I play it is I just they say when you get old, you start losing your mind, and I, the, playing these games helps you preserve your mind. I don't know if I'm doing a real good job of it, but I'm, but it's it's you know, it's what you do. And you know, if, if you hit Spider Solitaire and it came out perfect, two decks of just came out perfect, you would think that's just not going to happen. There's chaos, you have to work to create order in the thing, it takes intelligence, it takes effort, it takes exertion of control over the factors. But for some reason, in our universe, there is order out of chaos. Here's some of the interesting facts. When, when the universe began, there were actually, inside the golf ball, 206 factors that made it possible for it to exist and for, it to, for life to one day 
happen. 206. They are calibrated mathematically to a precision that our most brilliant scientists cannot calculate them with their best computers and their best efforts. There are, there are three macro, there's 15 macro variables, but let me just show you how three of them work together. One of them is the, the rate of energy, the amount of matter in the universe, and the other is the gravitational quotient. Now, when the universe is expanding and matter is going out, if, if the, the, the force of energy is, is too great, what happens is the universe is just a huge mass of gas. It's just molecules going everywhere. But if the rate of gravity is too strong, what's going to happen is the, the initial explosion, eruption, is going to recollapse. Gravity is just going to push it back in. The, cal the calibrations between matter and electromagnetism and gravity are so precise, are, are, are absolutely infinitely precise to allow the molecules to bond together to form planets and bodies, yet at the same time to continue to expand and separate to not recollapse. It is, it is a if anyone looking at this that's an astrophysicist just freaks out at the precision and the calibrations and the chance of this happening. When the universe began, again, there was all this matter. All the matter that exists was in the, inside the, the, the initial sphere that appeared. There is, there is two things that are involved. One is a quirk and a quark. One is called is matter and one is antimatter. Now, when a quirk and a quark collide, you get a proton, which is what energy is. Now, for some reason, when the universe began, because you would think it'd all be symmetrical, you know, we're symmetrical, symmetry just is all throughout creation, but for some reason, for every billion quirks, there is a billion and one quarks. For every billion of antimatter, there is a billion and one of matter. You and I are that one billion our, whole, our body, everything came from that. There's, there's no explaining it. And, and, and what we see with gravity and the laws of gravity, 206 things calibrated precisely. It just becomes, I believe, unreasonable to not believe there's a greater mind at work. And I'm not alone. Albert Einstein, I think, is going to come up on the screen. There he is. And here's what he said. He, he, he thought about this, and he said, everyone who seriously engaged in the pursuit of science, becomes convinced that the laws of nature manifest the existence of a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and who in the face of which we must, with our modest powers, must feel humble. And Einstein went on to describe God. Einstein was, again, not a Christian. He didn't propose to believe in a personal God, but he believed in a creator, a designer. And the way he described him is like if you walk into a library as a young kid, and it's ordered, and it's fascinating, and there's information everywhere. What you reason is, you may not understand everything, you may not be able to read everything, but what you would understand is that you are, this is the consequence of what he called an amazing mind. And he called God for him, God was reason incarnate. And this is what we see throughout the universe. And so here's, here's a second Thing I think we have to understand. Not only does the universe have a supernatural beginning or beginner, 
But whatever began the universe, whatever originated it, is brilliant beyond words. It, it, it put together a brilliant work beyond words and would seem to be intended to do so. That is, a, I believe, a reasonable conclusion from the facts. So we had that something came from nothing, order came from chaos. And here's the third thing that I think we, we uh, and this is really fascinating, but life came from non-life. Life came from non-life. And again, this is scientific models believe that about 3.8 billion years ago, life began. Now, our life, the way we are, we are, um, we're fascinating. DNA is a fascinating thing. We are made up of 30,000 different genomes, every human being. A genome is a recipe for how to make you. There is, in every cell of your body, there is a recipe. There is instructions on how to make your eyes, how to make your nose, how to make your ears the way they are, how to make you the height you are, how to have the bone density and everything about you, how your digestive system operates, how your brain works, how your nerves work, how you're able to hear. All that coding is in every cell of your body. And scientists say it amounts to about 4,500 page books is in every cell of your body. Now, at some point, scientists understand this. DNA did not always exist within a cell. DNA was, was, was going and had come together long before cells came together. And, and here's what happened. The, the molecules that were floating in the ocean to make DNA happen had to come together in order to tell a cell that it doesn't know exist, how to make you or make whatever it was making to begin with. The, the instructions have to come together perfectly without a, a letter out of place, without a comma out of place to be able to tell. And then once that happens, once life begins, DNA has to unite with a cell and the cell has to be able to read the coded message of DNA to be able to, and it has to have all the things the DNA wants it to have to be able to reproduce, and then it can start reproducing one cell and two cells and three cells. Does everybody, I don't know if I'm explaining that really well, but DNA does it. You have a cell and you have DNA and it has to unite. It would literally be like this. It would be like a DVD, and I talked to Jonathan Gent, who's our geneticist. He has a PhD from Stanford in genetics. And I said, can I say this? Because it seems like from my reading, he says, yeah, you can say that. It's, it's more intense than that. So he says, I can say this. But, but here's the idea. If you could think of DNA as a DVD disc of a movie, the movie Tombstone. And you have the movie Tombstone here. And this disc, on this disc is information on how much light to show, on what to say, and what noises to make. And it's, it has all the information of this movie on a disc. It's fantastic. The lighting, the movements, the sound, the noise, everything is coded. And then you have a machine that is able to, when you put that DVD into it, it can read it. And it can actually produce the movie. This is literally what the beginning of life, at least life that is self-replicating coded cells happen. DNA finds a cell and, oh, it can read it. It happened to write a language a cell can read 
Once the cell gets it, it has all the mechanisms, all the mechanics to, to do the information and, and make life. Now, I want you to think how extraordinary that is, how incredible that is. I've got a book here by a guy. Let me just show you earlier name, Anthony Flew. This book is a great book to get if you want to get a good book. It's, it's Lily's called There Is No God, but then he crossed out no and put the word a God there. Anthony Flew in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s was literally the most notorious atheist on the planet. Uh, he was at Cambridge and Oxford. He debated C.S. Lewis. He debated Christians. And what happened for over about a 10-year period, he began to interact with these facts, follow the evidence, he says. And he began to realize over and over again, the evidence pointed overwhelmingly to the existence of a greater mind, of God. This guy never became a Christian. He never became, never, never adopted a personal religion. He didn't convert to a religion. He converted to theism. He converted to a belief in God by the force of facts alone. And, and these were some of the things he talked about. Now, let me close this up real quickly and just ask you a question. Let me get back to the beginning of this. I saw a, a debate between Richard Dawkins and a theist, and they were, the theist was talking about these things. And this Richard Dawkins, who's a notorious atheist, said this. He said, the fine-tuning of the universe is the only argument you have. Now, one, that's not true. But number two, what are you saying when you say that? When you're saying the only thing that affirms there's a God is the order and the symmetry and the precision that exists in everything, everywhere. I want to tell you this, if you're going to be a lawyer one day and you're going to defend your client and your defense is your honor, the only evidence they have is everything, everywhere. <laughs> you probably don't have a very strong case. That literally, and again, look on YouTube. Look at the arguments between atheists and theists. That literally is the best argument against this that's out there. Well, that's your only bullet. Again, my... Uh, I'm going to close with a couple thoughts. Um, again, what has convinced you to believe what you believe? What is it? What is it facts? Is it experiences? Have you just been influenced? But what, what has convinced you, one, if you're a Christian, what's convinced you to believe in God? You know, because you're going to need something a little more rooted in your life at some point than just this feels good and, and uh, life's wonderful. But second thing, if you're not a Christian, what's, what has convinced you? You know, my, my thing today is I think when we look at science, this would be my case, and if you want to talk to me afterwards about this, I'd be really happy to do it. But my, I believe this, when we look at science, I think science is what Romans 1 says. It's very evident. It's very plain that there is a creator. There is a God. And I say it as a preacher. I can show you atheists who were very good at what they believed, who, who feel the same way. And I think it's like this. If we were flying over a, the Pacific Ocean, you and I, we're in a plane, 
We're flying over the ocean and we see a, what we understand to be a deserted island out in the middle of the ocean. And on that deserted island, we see on the shore, on the beach there, on the sand, some shells and some rocks and some debris and some trees. And there's four arrangements. One is an H, one is an E, one is an L, and one is a P. What is the most reasonable conclusion from what you see? Somebody is down there. That's four letters. That's, that's, that's the complexity of four letters. What we're talking about are languages. We're talking about volumes. We're talking about complexity that our best scientists can't figure out and can't comprehend. So that's my conclusion. And uh, I hope, again, you'll ask yourself those questions as we go through this journey. What has made you believe what you believe? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for everybody here. And um, Lord, uh, believe it or not, I just believe you speak to people and you speak through different things. And I pray you would uh, just brand this on our hearts. That what the psalmist said is really true. The heavens are declaring the works of God. The stars tell of the, the fingerprints of, of him. And I pray that you would uh, just, people that, that maybe don't know you here, would just think about these things. And honestly, um, look at the facts and be persuaded by them and nothing else. And um, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh.